Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast. We're in our first of 20 lessons, and I say it's the first of the first series. This is actually part 16, and I'm so glad you've joined us for this. And the theme of this particular study is the, the spiritual man, and we're beginning our last week of this uh, particular series. And I want to encourage you to call somebody and share uh, what you're learning from this. And I hope it's helping you. hope you're understanding the Word of God. Let's go to our text. And I jump around. I hope you've noticed that. I go sometimes to the ISV, the International Standard Version, because uh, what I want to emphasize that day may uh, be a little more clear in that translation. Today I'm going to the New King James Version, and I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians 2.14. And here Paul says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And you know, there's a difference there between that word see and discern. Discerning is a little different. We don't see them like you would see something with your physical eye. You discern things. There is a, a deeper process there. there it, it's actually a seeing by faith. I know it's there. I can define it. I, I, I'm very much aware of it. Uh, but it's different than seeing something with your natural eyes. So that's what it means to to be de, uh, to discern something. Then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. Actually, he doesn't go on. He says it before. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." So this text tells us that God hid the great plans that he has for you and for me. He hid them from the world. And not everybody could see them. Uh, many people are totally and completely oblivious to them. And we're going to talk about in this week the three different distinct groups that God had to hide his plans from. And the first group would be people, that, that God hides his uh, uh, plans from people. God hides him, uh, his plans from demonic rulers. And there's a third group you might be surprised at that God has to hide his plans from. But uh, we'll get into that more in detail later. God hides his plans and purposes so that only spiritual people can find them. Uh, other people will walk right past the door and never even know it was a door. Um, you know, I go out into the woods a lot, and I love to look for deer antler sheds. And you have to train yourself to find them because uh, very seldom will you see the full outline of a deer antler. You will see just a little bit of white. And when I first began to look for sheds probably 20 years ago, I, I didn't see many. I, I walked right past them. Somebody else would go along and pick them up and say, here, you missed this one. And it was because I did not have a trained eye. I didn't know what to look for. And I was walking right past things, missing them all the time. And I learned you're not going to see the whole antler. You're going to see just a tip of white. Always investigate the little white tip. And that's so important when you're looking for something that you have a trained eye. You develop an eye for opportunity. How many times have we heard about people who found some amazing process that, and made a lot of money from it and developed a business around it 
and uh, only to see that that other people walked right past this same opportunity and never realized it was there. That happens all the time. You know, I can experience, I can relate to this because God gave me a heart for a group of people that other people walked right past. I started my ministry working with kids. And I have to tell you, I didn't have to fight to get those kids. <laughs> nobody wanted them. I went after the kids that nobody wanted. I went after the underprivileged kids that I could get to ride a bus. Uh, their parents were looking for something for them to do. They did not mind their kids being gone, especially if they're a large family. Uh, for three to four hours on Sunday morning because I had an hour from where I lived to get to the town where they lived and uh, an hour to get back. And then I had them in Sunday school and church for two hours. And so it was a four-hour journey. And I was a free babysitter. And the parents, they, they were only too glad to let me have those kids for that period of time. You know, those kids were not the best listeners. They weren't the, the most well-behaved kids but they were perfect for me. And, and here's why. I needed to practice on somebody. I did not know how to teach kids, and they didn't know any better. They were just glad to have some young man like me show them some attention. And so I picked up all these little boys and girls, and I suppose there were probably on average week 250, sometimes as high as 300 to 400, even to 500 kids that would ride our six Sunday school buses, and they would come to our children's churches on that weekend. And uh, God gave me a heart for these kids. I learned how to see beyond the rough edges, and uh, they didn't have the kind of training that church kids had. They were really, really rough. When they said, I've got to go to the bathroom, they didn't say it quite that politely. Uh, so I got the kids that no one wanted to serve. But I knew that if I was going to keep them, I had to adjust my teaching. I knew there was nobody who would make them come back to church the following Sunday if I didn't make it interesting. So I was desperate. Every week, I sat down after I got done, and I evaluated what I had taught. I looked at each lesson, and I did what a lot of people don't do. I asked myself, was this an effective way of communicating? Did that story really work? Uh, did they pay attention in this particular segment? Was that puppet show too long? Was that story too long? I told three stories in a row. Should I have done that? I noticed I lost them halfway through the second story. So I learned all kinds of things. I got an education about how to teach and train children. And it was of immense value to me, but it was an opportunity that most other people in my position would completely miss because I was going after the kids that nobody wanted. And today, I, I'm so proud of those kids because so many of them became wonderful people, wonderful church leaders and civic leaders. And I can take you back and show you these young people and how well they've done and uh, how much it helped me. Now, I got to tell you what I had to overcome to find them. I had to overcome my pride. See, I, I had this idea that if you worked with kids, it was because you weren't quite up to par for adult ministry. You, you really couldn't do the adult ministry well. And most young men, and I went to Bible college, and most young men in my, uh, in my circle 
and my station of life. None of them were looking to do a children's ministry, not a single one of them. And I have to tell you that I was ashamed of the kids for a while. I mean, I did it, but but there was a season when when I didn't fully appreciate what I had. I went after them, and little by little, my pride dropped away. And that's what you will have to fight when you go after something that God has for you. You will have to get rid of your pride. And and pride would have kept me from seeing the opportunity. And so many of my friends missed the opportunities uh, because they, they didn't see it. You know, even Jesus' disciples missed it. Now I'm going to read to you five verses here from uh, Matthew chapter 18. And it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. Do you know that Jesus never took a grown-up into a group of children and told the children that they had to become like the grown-up? But conversely, he took a child into a group of grown-ups and said, you have to learn to receive like him. And listen to what he said. Assuredly, I say to you, or King James, verily I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot come on your own merits. You cannot come in your own strength. You have to learn to trust the way that a kid trusts. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to this. This is an important verse. Churches hear this verse and they don't believe it. None of them believe it. Very few of them believe it. Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. Now I got to tell you, there are loads of pastors out there who want to have some great minister come to their church, especially when you're getting started. You want to have that special somebody come to your church and put their seal of approval on your church. I know. I, I was exactly that way. If I could only get such and such speaker to come, it would announce the fact that we are legit. We have arrived. Do you know what? You can have the most amazing influence in the world in your church every single weekend. Jesus said, if you receive one such little child in my name, you receive me. He said, you can have me every Sunday. Now, in 1995, I really saw the need to go after our teenagers. We were missing our teenagers. and So you know what I did? I quit traveling. I stopped accepting invitations to conventions to speak where I'd get thousands of dollars in honoraria and, and, and would be received well and people loved me to come and, and these were big churches, but I quit going. And I instead began to go to 7th and 8th grade uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes meetings uh, before school started. Uh, I would go to little Bible clubs after school started. I would speak to a group of sleepy-eyed 7th graders at 7 o'clock in the morning. And they were barely able to keep their eyes open. I would go to football practices and be there afterwards to just wait around to say hi to two or three players who were in my youth group. 
I made an investment in kids. And a lot of times they weren't the most popular kids. They were not all the leader kids that everybody in town wanted to have. I would go after the nobodies. I went after teenagers. And I got to tell you, it turned our church around. And we launched a ministry called 180. And it wasn't long before I had the who's who of all the high schools in our youth ministry. I remember in the year 2000, for the 6A state championship here in Oklahoma, both head football coaches contacted me that week and asked me to come and stand on the sidelines with their teams during the game. That's how it changed and it turned. And it is because I went after a group of people that nobody else was going after, and it forever changed our church. But in the beginning, I went after kids that nobody wanted. And, uh, and I never forgot those kids. They always had a special place in my heart. And Now listen, Jesus spends 14 verses in Matthew 18 talking about this important group of people, uh, these children. One chapter later, we're going to read Matthew 19, starting in verse 13. Then little children were brought to him that he would put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked him. Matthew 19, 14 says this, But Jesus said, Let the little children, King James, suffer, which means allow, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Now this is fascinating to me. Jesus in the previous chapter couldn't have been that much of a time passage. In the previous chapter, he spends 14 verses talking about how to reach kids. And one chapter later, his own disciples turn away the parents who brought their little children to him to bless. They didn't get it. They heard it, but they didn't get it. Do you know it's still that way in the church world today? Leaders will do things for the kids because they are hoping that kids will somehow influence their parents to come to their churches, but they don't see that much value in the kids. And that's just a fact of life. Every now and then I run into a pastor who genuinely sees great value in the children. Uh, I ask this question a lot. Pastor, when is the last time you preached a sermon on children's ministry? Well, our people just don't seem to care that much about children's ministry. They don't, they don't volunteer. Do you know why they don't? They don't because they don't have any faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If you don't teach on kids, you're never going to have kids. Now, I'm not doing a session here on children's ministry, but I'm just giving you an illustration here of how pride robs us of great blessing. God hides things from proud people. And so if you want to receive the greatest things in life, then get rid of your pride. And that means be willing to serve because we gain the people that we go after to serve. And that's just a spiritual law. Well, that's all the time I have for this particular podcast, but we're staying in this vein. And we're talking particularly this week about how God hides the greatest things that he has for us from other people or other entities, and he keeps them from seeing what he wants to give us. And what I want to do is show you very clearly how you can find them and how you can see them. Thank you very much.